Acts chapter 10. Acts 10. Yep, we're living off the blessings of the work of a former generation that built these churches that we're worshiping in today. Okay. 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 Robert Marcinko from the uh, VFW. Let's remember Robert Marcinko. Robert Marcinko. And uh, let's remember uh, Joe Offenberger this week as well, his wife Anna and their son and their family. Okay. Beth on her travels back. All right. Okay, Acts chapter 10. You know, I'm a Bible believer. I think you know that about me by now. That means that I believe in the inspiration as well as the preservation of Scripture. I'm going to go farther and I'm going to say something that you won't hear. Many preachers say you'll hear a lot of double speak, a lot of double talk in the pulpit, but I believe this book, the one I'm holding in my hand, is perfect. The King James Bible. Word for word, perfect. Don't need to change it. Don't need to revise it. You need to reread it. Amen. You'll get a whole lot farther if you come to it with a mind of faith instead of a mind of doubt. But you know what? I found a great contradiction in the Bible. I didn't think there were any, but I found one. Look with me at Acts chapter 10 and verse 14. Acts chapter 10 and verse 14. This is Peter's revelation of Gentile salvation in Acts chapter 10. We're going to see... The gospel is given to Cornelius. He's the first Gentile that's saved, converted in the book of Acts. And uh, this is a turning point in the book of Acts. Uh, But the Lord uses Simon Peter, in this case, to be the gospel preacher. But look in verse 14. The Lord wanted Simon Peter to rise up and eat something that was unclean. And look what he said. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything That is common, unclean. Did you spot the contradiction? Not so, Lord. You can say, not so. Or, you could say, Lord, but you can't say, not so, Lord. Because to say, Lord, means you're in control of my life. You own me. You bought me with a price. I belong to you. I'm your servant. You tell me where to go, and I'll go. You tell me when to stay, and I'll stay. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it. You tell me how to think, and I'll think that way. You tell me what to believe, and I'll trust it, Lord. But you can't say, not so, Lord. It's a great contradiction. You could say, not so, man. (laughs) Not so, buddy. You could even say, not so, Mama, but I don't recommend it. Amen? But you can't say, not so, Lord. You see, Peter at this point, he's still called Simon Peter. Simon means shifting sand. And the Lord's still working on him. And for one thing, 
Peter is going to learn about God's revelation to send the gospel to the Gentiles. You see, at this time, Peter and the other Jewish apostles believed that the gospel was for the Jews. The Jewish writings during the New Testament era, uh, one of them being the Mishnah, actually says of the Gentiles, as anybody that's not a Jew, actually says of the Gentiles that they are fodder for the flames of hell. Just fuel for the flames of hell. That's what they thought of Gentiles back in this day. He had a huge prejudice against them, and the Lord was going to teach him, I want you to go to the Gentiles with the gospel of God's grace. And he's going to learn about it in this chapter. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you tonight uh, for this message that you've given me. And Lord, I pray that you'd just make up uh, for the lack of time that I've been able to give to this. And God, I pray that you'd bless on this occasion. And Lord, uh, even if we just read the scripture tonight and take it to heart and have a word of prayer, we've, we've, uh, We've been able to do something tonight that is good for us spiritually, but I pray that you'd give me uh, the words that you'd have me to say, Lord. And uh, anything that I shouldn't say, I pray that you'd uh, put a watch over my mouth and keep me from saying it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we'll begin at verse 1, Acts chapter 10 and verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Now we're going to be introduced to this Gentile man. And... He's spoken of favorably because he's a centurion. That is, he was a lifelong officer, military man in the Roman army, and he was thought well of. He was, he was looked upon highly, and actually all centurions that are mentioned in the Bible are mentioned in a favorable light. Uh, because, uh, you, you know, you take the one that was there with Jesus and he said, Jesus, would you heal my servant? And Jesus says, I'll come to your house. And, and he said, no, you don't even need to come to my house. Just say the word. You know, I'm not worthy that you should come over under my roof. And the Jews said of that centurion, they said, he's a good man. He's, he's been good to us as the Jewish people. He's built us a synagogue and all this stuff. And they're always looked at in a favorable light. But, you know, he's just a certain man. He's just a man, it says there. Uh, you take off his rank and his, and his uh, uniform and, and you strip him of all of his worldly accomplishments and in God's eyes, he's just a man, a certain man who needs salvation. You know, uh, a centurion would have about a hundred men underneath of him. He says he's a centurion of a band called the Italian band and that means that he had 100 soldiers underneath him, and he lived in Caesarea. That was the town that Pilate stayed in whenever he was in Judea. And so that would have been a, a very influential city. And here you have a man who's well-known, well-respected, and well-liked. And uh, according to this, he's a good man. You see, in verse 2, a devout man. That means that he's uh, religious, and one that feared God with all his house. And by that, you know, Bible commentators have uh, come to the conclusion that he's a semi-proselyte to the Jewish faith, meaning that he wouldn't go so far as to be circumcised and, and become a part of the covenant, but he would fear God, so he was recognized as a God-fearing Gentile. Uh, he was a devout man, he was religious, he even gave alms, so he was generous, and he prayed to God, always. All of these things, 
He was religious, but you know what? He wasn't saved. This is a great chapter in the Bible to show someone that religion is just not enough. You might be a good man as far as men go, even like this centurion. But listen, being good as far as men go and as far as this world is concerned is not enough to get you into heaven. And it's clear here because what God does is He takes this man who... He took the light that he received and, and he, he followed that light as far as he could get with it. And God obligated himself to take a man like that and to get him the gospel, to get him the truth so that he could be saved. But it's evident that his religion was not enough. He was religious, but he was lost. Religious, but lost. And he was a Gentile. So this is the first time that a Gentile is going to get saved. And uh, from here on out, God sends the gospel to the Gentiles. So we're going, to be, we're going to be seeing a big change in the book of Acts. How does God do it? Well, he, he gave him a vision in verse 3. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, that's four o'clock. He saw an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for memorial before God. You see? He followed the light that he had, and he took it as far as he could take it. And because he did that, God sent him an angel. He did something unusual. And, uh, you know, we all have light coming into this world. The Bible says that Jesus lighteth every man that cometh into this world. And that's referring to our conscience. The Bible says that the Ten Commandments are written on our hearts. And so we know the difference between right and wrong. And when we decide to cross the line of sinning against our conscience and doing what we know inherently that's wrong, we're sinning against that light that God gave us. And God gave him some further light. He gave him the Jewish people. And so evidently, he was interested in learning about Jehovah. He was a pagan man that turned to this faith, this monotheistic faith, this faith in just one God, the God of the Old Testament. And he followed that light. But you know, listen, being under the Old Testament, that old covenant, that wasn't enough. There are people today who think that if a Jew is sincere in their faith, and if they follow the Old Testament, that ultimately they will enter the kingdom. And that if you, as a Christian, are sincere in your faith, and you follow the faith of the New Testament or the New Covenant, that you'll go to heaven. You'll be in the kingdom. And the two are not in agreement. The one that is new replaces the old. There's only one way to heaven, and that hasn't changed. That way is Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the only mediator between God and men. He says, no man comes unto the Father but by what? Me. But by me. Today you have in, in liberal uh, Christianity, you have the notion that if a Jew is sincere in their faith and they follow that, that they will go to heaven. If a Muslim is sincere and they follow that, they'll go to heaven. If an Orthodox religious person is sincere in their faith, then they'll go to heaven. And it's not true. There's only one way. The, the, there's a narrow gate. There is a broad way 
There is a wide path that many people are on and it leads to destruction. There's a narrow gate and it's the cross. And it's Jesus Christ. And this is a good chapter to show to somebody who's religious, but they're not yet saved. So God even sent him an angel. And, and this angel says to him that your prayers and, and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. You see, God saw that, and because of his obedience to the light that he had, God said, I'm going to get the gospel to him. And this, this angel says, now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now hold on a minute. Why didn't the angel just tell him right there? Why didn't the angel just tell him, hey, I just came from heaven and I just saw the ascended, glorious, victorious Lord of all, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you what he did for men. And we all watched it. We stood and, and we wanted to fight and we wanted to destroy those Romans who were crucifying our Lord. But, but we learned that he was laying down his life for you and, and he paid for your sin. Why didn't the angel start to tell him the gospel? Because God didn't give them the responsibility to tell men about a Savior who can save anyone. God gave that responsibility to men. To men and women and boys and girls. You see, there are three parts, three aspects that are needed, that are necessary for a person to be saved. You have to have the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit of God uses the Word of God, the Scriptures, and then you have to have a soul winner. So you need the Spirit, the Scriptures, and the soul winner. There has to be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl on the ground going and telling the good news of the Gospel. But I tell you folks, the way that we act, you'd think it was bad news that we had to share. It's not bad news, it's good news. It's good news. You know, and when, when people first get saved, they don't need a class on soul winning. They just go out and talk about what happened to them. They just say, hey, I got saved and you should get saved too. Let me tell you what happened. I had no idea. God has forgiven me of all my sins, past, present, and future. I'm forgiven. I'm, I have eternal life. You know, just tell the simple gospel message. And for some people, it's the love of God that touches their hearts. For some people, it's the warning about hell. And, and they don't want to go to hell, so they get saved. And that's good too. And, and for some people, it's, it's just a conviction, an overall conviction, a Holy Spirit conviction that comes upon them that uh, they're undone before God and that they're sinful and, and uh, that they're missing something in their life. And people who live long enough come to the point to where they feel uh, like life is empty and, and, and life is meaningless. And they've tried everything and, and there must be more to it than this. And when they learn about the gospel, then they, they come to faith in Jesus Christ uh, for that. And, and uh, it's, it's good news and it's exciting. It's exciting to be around people getting saved, isn't it? Amen. I love to see people getting saved in church. Love to see people getting saved in nursing homes. I love to see people getting saved in juvenile detention centers. Uh, people getting saved in uh, funeral homes. I mean, out on the street corner, out on the sidewalk. I love to see people getting saved, don't you? Amen. Praise Amen. That's what we need. Listen, uh, our sister sang about it. There used to be some preachers in this country who would take a stand for God and would resist the devil... And, and would go out with the gospel 
and with the love of God on their lips and beat the bushes and knock on doors and build churches from scratch. And we're sitting in the comfort of the work that someone has done before us. You know, and I heard a missionary preach about his hometown, his area where he lives in Virginia, and he talks about churches there and people living on the blessings of, of gospel workers in times past. And, uh, and he's just talking about one church after another that he's seen just die in his, in his area. Lights go, the, church, the doors close, the lights go out. A church that used to be a vibrant gospel light in the community, nothing's there. What happened? People lost the vision. But I'm going to tell you what God uses every time. And this is, it's, uh, makes me tremble, really. It's, it's God calls a man to a church. And God calls that man to a church to steer the church like a little boat, to steer it in the right direction. And to set the example and to get a church fired up about the lost and going after souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the way he always does it. And uh, so many churches lose the vision. Their numbers dwindle. A lot of it, I'll just tell you, it's on the pulpit. It's on the pulpit. That's where the responsibility rests. Everything rises and falls on leadership, you know. And and, uh, people lose the vision and churches turn into entertainment centers and social clubs and things like that. And, and you know, and, and it just turns into, I just invite the people that I know, invite my friends, and we'll come here. And, and listen, you know, we can invite our friends and our family, and we should. We should go through our, our Jerusalem, which is our family. But, you know, that's, that's not where we stop. That's like Peter saying, no, the, the gospel's just for the Jews, just worldwide. We're just supposed to go to all the synagogues all over the world and tell them the gospel so that they can receive the fullness of the prophecies fulfilled. And, and, and God said, no, I want you to go to the Gentiles. And the gospel is for every creature. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to who? Everyone. Every creature. Every creature. You know what that requires? It's like I told you, I've told you this before, but there was a dear lady, a dear saint of God. Uh, I think she almost made it to a hundred, but... At one time, her and her husband, and this is in their 70s when they were still just young bucks, you know, and, and they just decided this church isn't getting after it. And that, so they went and got a van and they just went out and just, would you kids like to go to Sunday school? You know, and they brought this rickety Dodge van into church, you know, one, those are the real dangerous ones that hung way back after the rear axle, you know, way out there, dangerous things. And uh, the floorboards rusted out. You could put your foot through the floorboards, the pastor is telling me. They came rolling in there one Sunday morning. No one knew it was coming. And they had a bus full of kids just falling out of the van. Because they wanted to go after souls. And I remember her telling me. She'd say, now John, you know how you do this, right? You know how you go out and win souls. You've got to go out and knock. She should do that to me. Just like that. I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And you know what? We'll, we'll go out and knock, and I know it's hard. It's hard work, and I know these days people are resistant in America. It's not like the Philippines. In the Philippines, people are excited about the gospel. In America, we're, we're, we have too much. We have too much stuff. We're, we're distracted with materialism. But if you go out and do the work, you know what God will do? Eventually, you will see souls saved. Eventually. 
And God will send people from other directions. He will bless us if we're obedient. So he says, and now send men, not an angel, but a man, and call for one Simon whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. So he's up in Joppa. He's on the seaside of the Mediterranean Sea, and he's in the house of Simon a tanner. Now, we are told that a tanner is somebody who works with the dead skins of animals, and they stretch them, and they dry them, and they make them into different uh, purposes. But he's working with animal skins. And uh, we're told that a, a, a tanner's house was the stinkiest house in the whole town. If you were downwind of this house, you could smell it long way off. And so they wouldn't have any trouble finding Simon the Tanner's house. I've known of a couple of houses like that. <laughs> if you go knocking on doors, you might run into a couple of houses like that. But guess what? Jesus died for everyone. Jesus died for stinky people. <laughs> Jesus died for nice smelling sweet people. Amen. He died for everybody. Uh, you know, when Jesus went into... When he went into town and he went to go visit Zacchaeus. You remember that story? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We've been learning in town that Zacchaeus was the most hated person in town. Everybody would say Zacchaeus stinks. We don't like him. He is a cheat and a liar and he sold out his own people and cheated us out of our money. And every, everybody hated Zacchaeus, but when Jesus went into town, into Jericho, where did he stop first? Where did he stop, Lily? At Zacchaeus' house, didn't he? He went to the, the meanest, least liked person in town, the stinkiest guy, and went to him with the gospel. If we want to do that, we've got to go to Washington. Amen. You know that, you know that folks? Jesus went after him. Went after him. Amen. So he, 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 they said, go to Simon the Tanner's house and you'll find Peter. And you know, Peter's a Jew and Peter's going to go out and preach for God and he's going to go from Joppa. That makes two men in the Bible that God has sent from Joppa, two Jewish men, to go to the Gentiles. Do you know who the first one was? The first one was Jonah, a Jewish preacher. And God sent Jonah to go preach to the Gentiles. And you know what? He didn't want to go. And now God tells Peter, he's going to tell him, Peter, you do it. And Peter says, not so, Lord. But guess what? God says to Antiquity Baptist Church, I want you to go out and I want you to preach the gospel to every, every creature. And we say, not so, Lord. Great contradiction. Great contradiction. So he says, uh, there, uh, he'll tell you what you ought to do. In the verse 7, when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed... He called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So they head out to Joppa. Then on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. I don't know if he did that because of the smell inside or what. But he's up on top of the housetop. You know, back then, the, the housetops were flat. So you could go up there and you could sit. And uh, they'd even put rooms up on there. So he's up there. About the sixth hour, it's about noontime. 
And Peter's feeling pretty hungry. And it's funny because the Lord knows he's hungry. And the Lord is going to use something that has to do with his stomach to teach him something. So there he is. It's about lunchtime and he's hungry. Verse 10, he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at four corners and let down to the earth. And inside of this sheet were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and fowls of the air. Somebody said, beasts, birds, and bugs. And they're all unclean things. Everything that his law said was unclean. And then there came a voice to him that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call thou, call not thou common. This was done three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. It reminds me of children. You have to say, uh, don't walk on that. Don't walk on, don't walk on that. You know? Take your shoes off. Take your, sho- take your shoes off. You've got to say something three times before, the, before they finally hear that, you know? <laughs> um, he says three times. And you know what he was trying to teach Peter? He was trying to teach Peter that to you, Gentiles are unclean. But I want you to get over that. Get over your, your, uh, your prejudice. Don't discriminate. And go to the Gentiles. He's preparing him. And then look what happens. Right after he gets this vision, some men show up. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. Isn't that something? You know what this teaches us? I'm going to have to bring this to a close, but this teaches us a great truth right here. God was preparing Peter for something. And while he was preparing Peter to go out and to be a soul winner, he was also preparing Cornelius and his house to receive the message that he had for them. And so, God will prepare us. He will prepare us for what He prepares for us. God will prepare us for what He prepares for us. So you might say, I can't go out and go after souls. I'm not going to go soul winning. That's old school. I don't, people don't do that anymore. We don't build churches like that anymore. It's Bible. But if you say... You know what? I'm not going to be this living, walking contradiction like Peter, not so, Lord. I'm, I'm going to be at least open to it, and I'm just going to say, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And if you do that, if you say, Lord, all right, I'm willing. I don't know what I can do exactly or how effective I'll be, and I don't know. I'm scared. I'll probably mess it up, you know. And, but, Lord, I'm willing to go. If you'll do that, he'll start preparing you. For what he's prepared other people to receive. 
And then if we go out and knock on doors, I've seen it, and I know it's hard work, but if we go out and knock on doors, I've seen it where people are just ready. Some people are just ready to get saved. And you'll come across them. Or they're just ready to come to church. I've been out sometimes knocking on doors and inviting kids to church and, and sometimes getting some adults to come with me on my little church bus. And, and you know what? I've run into people who said this. I've been thinking about going to a church. Just wasn't sure which one. And you're the only one that came and knocked on my door. So I'm going to come to your church. I've seen that happen. I haven't done a whole lot because, listen, it's hard. We're in the last days. People are not going to get saved at the rate that they were in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. But they will get saved. And the Lord is preparing someone for us to reach. But I've seen, uh, picked up a a dear lady, single mother, raising her boy. And uh, saw both of them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I was there the day that I helped that young man, Dakota, bury his mom. And I stood around her graveside and as we prayed and talked and heard the testimonies. And I knew that she was saved because our church cared enough to buy a bus, to send somebody like me out, to try to do my best and others too, and bring them in. And they got saved because they heard the preaching of the gospel at the church. And now they're saved. And you know what? They're, they're, they weren't big tithers. We're not interested in that. You know, that's not our concern. But some churches want to get influential people into their church. They weren't influential. Um, they were people that God brought into our lives because they needed help. So we ministered to them. And um, they were souls. Souls. You've got to see people as, as souls for whom Christ died. And, and so he says, I want you to go and I want you to... Uh, Preach to them, Simon, 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 shifting sand, unstable. You can't build your life on shifting sand. You've got to build your life upon the rock. That's what Peter means. Amen. And you know, after Acts chapter 10, the book of Acts stops calling him Simon Peter. It does it one more time in chapter 11. But that's only as he's recounting this story. It starts calling him Peter. And then after chapter 15, Peter's not mentioned again. And it turns to Paul. And Paul is the highlight of the rest of the book of Acts. But the Lord was done with Peter and uh, bringing him along and, and, and shaping his life and making it what it ought to be uh, through this experience. Now, while Peter thought on the vision, look what happened. The Spirit of the Lord said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? So he's talking to Gentiles. And uh, the story goes on. And they start to tell him about Cornelius. We're going to have to pick up with that the next time that we get together. But you know, folks, uh, some things that we can do, it's really something that anyone can do. And as the weather turns and and, uh, you know, the time changes and it warms up and the days get longer. That's, uh, and, you know, and as nature comes back to life, that's when this church really needs to come to life. We can do things that are just easy to do. Go out and hang door hangers and, and things just to let people know that we're here. You'd be surprised how many people don't know we're here. This is, a, this is out of the way. 
We can put up signs, different major intersections. Somebody can take the ministry of putting up signs and uh, directing people here. We're going to have a revival meeting this spring, Lord willing, and have a good preacher in, and we can invite people to that, have a special meeting. It's, you can go back to the people that you've invited, you know, ten times, but invite them one more time. Maybe they'll come this time to a special meeting. Amen. And, and we can go out uh, following up on visitors. We can go out door knocking and just doing plain old soul winning. But a great place to start is just to saturate the area with information about our church. We can go to the fair. We can set up a booth, a prayer booth. Say, can we pray with you? And uh, people will come up and ask for prayer. And you can give them the gospel at that time. And, and I can teach you some basics about soul winning. And if you're just terrified about speaking up for the Lord, uh, you know, you say yeah, it's, a, it's a gift. You know, some people have it, some people don't. Not according to the Bible. It's not a gift. It's a commandment that we're supposed to do it. And uh, you might not be the most outgoing person. You might not be the most friendly person with a magnetic, magnetic personality. But there's somebody in your life, if you'll just pray, God will say, I'll prepare you for what I've prepared for you. I'll do that. And he'll use you. Amen. He'll use you. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this message tonight. Thank you for this good church. And... Um, Lord, I thank you for what we have. We're, we're standing on the shoulders of men and women who have gone on before us, who built these works in this area. And Lord, I know that you can use a church generation after generation if the people will keep a vision for the gospel and for lost souls. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do that. God, how we would rejoice to see someone who is just unchurched and uh, not connected to us directly but someone who's been reached by one of our ministries to come to faith in Jesus Christ and to be saved and to be discipled. Lord, we want to see that. We want to see it again. You've blessed us in the past with salvation testimonies and baptisms. Lord, we want to see it again. So I pray, Lord, that you would prepare us for what you've prepared for us. And Lord, that out in this community, uh, Racine and Syracuse and Lee Tart and, and around the area, Lord, uh, um, that you would prepare the people in these homes. You know each and every one. You know their stories. And Lord, uh, I pray that you'd prepare them. And then Lord, direct us to those who are ready to be saved. And uh, for those who are ready to perish. Lord, and I pray that you'd help us to show people that being religious is not good enough. Cornelius was a rid- religious man, but... You, you got the gospel to him so that he could get saved and that he could be born again by the Spirit of God, the Scriptures, and the soul winner. So, Lord, we thank you for these things now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And, Brother Adam, we're getting done a little bit early. Do you mind if we sing one more song before we part? Let's sing one more song. We don't always do that on a Sunday night. Um, it's been good to be together Uh, Look for announcements in the bulletin concerning some things that we can do this spring to try to reach people. Uh, We'll be using the young people. We'll be driving the church bus around and getting the young people to run to houses to hang up door hangers and stuff. It's a lot of fun, really. And uh, coming this spring, what I want to do is I want to do an old-fashioned prayer meeting, getting ready for the revival. I want to invite a few men over to my house and uh, have them over at my house for nothing but a prayer meeting, just to get down on our faces before God and ask God to do something for us. 
different things that we need to do around here to get back to the old time ways, back to the old paths. What's our song, brother? 489. 489. Let's sing 489 as we're dismissed.